Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wild Ginger Running YouTube channel live broadcast or subsequent podcast. Today, we are talking about the things you can learn from a DNF that will make you a better ultra runner with everybody's favorite coach and physio. It's Tim Piggott from HP3 Coaching. How are you doing today, Tim? Yeah, all good. Good to see you again. You keeping well? Yes. Yep. Doing well. Yep. Um, we're both having a little bit of a, a, an off month. Um, what, what did you call it? Not, not a training month. Um, yeah, just off season. Off season, that's it. Uh, it's important after, you know, if you've had a busy season, I seem to have had a kind of, quite an extended season building up to this. So I'm having an extended off season, a bit of time off. Just any running is mostly just taking the dogs for a jog around the fields or down the canal, and that's about it, really. <clears throat> um, just letting mind and body recharge before knuckling down. I've started to map out next season put a few entries in got a few things lined up so it's, but I've got plenty of time yet and uh, just yeah nice bit of chill out time chilling out yes trade when you want to and if you don't want to you don't have to it's not a problem yeah it, that sounds it's, it's a really important phase and you know for some people it might only be 10 14 days of just not running just taking it super easy but some people might need longer you know three or four weeks and yes you know a longer break there will be a slight drop in in your fitness but that will come back pretty quick so don't fear that and if that's what you need it's all good yes yeah I think the whole of October for me is good um and and I thought maybe today we could talk I've put in the title five things to learn from a DNF because basically based on the fact that you had five questions on this really great Instagram post that you put up recently um so oh. So um, you put, I'm going to read it out because I think it's, it's just, it really sort of spoke to me, this in- Instagram post. If, uh, if you don't follow Tim on Instagram, do look him up. It's, um, I'll just read out the actual address. It's Tim Piggott HP3 on Instagram. So definitely give him a follow. Um, so Tim wrote, it's the dreaming season where athletes are working through their goal setting exercises. But before we start thinking about which events to target next year, we need a moment to reflect on the past and for this is where the wisdom lies. By analysing your training and racing experiences over the past seasons, you gain a deeper understanding of what works and what doesn't. So this reflection bridges the gap between training theory and practice, showing how training principles apply to your unique journey and thus how to optimise your future training and performances. So I just thought that that really spoke to me. Um, is that some? Have you written stuff like that before on Instagram? Um, or um, is that a sort of... Is that sort of standard coaching practice to think about these things at this time of year? 
it should be standard coaching practice. <clears throat> um, it's stuff that I've written in the past. It's um, I, I did review the the language and some of the wording this season um, for people. I had a, a much bigger um, sort of explanatory part as for the for my coached athletes in terms of leading them into their reflection activities and. I certainly expanded some of the questions that I was asking my athletes in that reflective part of the, the goal setting um, exercise, really kind of using a lot of kind of motivational interviewing type questions to really get people to think about the, some of the underpinning thoughts and feelings and emotions that, that lead into then what we then think about in terms of planning for the future. Um, and in fact, I've had a, a sports science student, um, undergraduate student working with us as well. And he's also written uh, a blog post, which is on the website. And again, it nicely summarizes as we're then moving into the next phase of thinking about outcome goals, process goals, performance goals, and these different types of goals and how they all then lead on to the next thing. But what you're referring to here is that sort of initial post I put up a, a few weeks back now. Um, which is before you start thinking about setting your goals for next year, as I just mentioned at the start of this call, you know, I'm starting to you know, map out my races for next year. But before you start thinking about that, you need to really reflect back on, on the past season or seasons and really kind of think about, well, you know, what has gone well? What have you enjoyed? What's been fun? Yeah. Um, what has worked? And then also maybe what hasn't worked and why. And it's that underpinning why that then leads on to, well, what am I going to do differently next time around? Am I just going to do the same races all over again? Am I going to do different races? Am I going to do the same training or am I going to need to change my training in some way? Um, you know, did training and goals and everything, you know, did you achieve your goals? Did they match your expectations or did life get in the way and is life going to get in the way again next time around do you therefore need to review your your goals you know i've had athletes who have, have set lofty goals in terms of doing you know big races but quite frankly because of work and family commitments the time isn't there to put that level of volume in you know if you want to go and run a hundred miler you're not going to get away with running 10 15 miles a week you want to go and do an, an Ironman race, you, you're going to struggle doing an Ironman on three or four hours of training a week. So it's being, you know, being honest with yourself as to those, uh, those expectations. So, yeah, so you need to kind of reflect back on, you know, how did you perform last year and did that actually meet last year's goals and those expectations? Or did you do better? And therefore, can you actually push your goals a little bit more, challenge yourself a little bit more? Um, you know, were you... Well, you're not backing yourself enough back in 2022 when you were setting your goals for, for this year. Um, so, so yes, yeah, so those are the, some, a lot of the kind of reflection points that I was talking about in there. Um, and then it's also about that sort of deeper, you know, what did you learn about yourself last year? What did, what did sport teach you about who you are mm. and where you're going? Um, so, yeah, that, that's the sort of summary of that reflective bit before we then move into then setting your actual goals for next year. Yes. 
Yeah, well, you've got a few questions that um, I thought it would be good if we sort of if we sort of work through them together, then that will give other people a little framework to, to work through it from themselves. But there's a live question, just first of all, that, I, that really ties into what you've just been saying um, from Martin Weston. Um, he, he says, um, I, I start I'm thinking I start with the events and then I fit the training around them. Is that a good way? Um, my first draft seemed to have all the events happening in May, so that's not going to work. <laughs> but yeah, I think I do that too. I, I choose the events that I want to that I want to do just because they they look cool or somebody wants to pay me to do them, and then I put my training around them. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people might do that. So this is a bit of a different approach, isn't it? Looking backwards before you look forwards. Well, it's certainly looking backwards before you look forwards. So you you learn from the past. Because it might be, yes, you've got a, an event you want to do. Let's take, um, let's take yourself as an example. So a year ago, we were talking about you doing the Lakeland 100. Mm. Um, so you set that target. I want to run 100 miles in the lakes, in the mountains, fine. So what's the training plan required to, to meet that? And then we realized, well, actually you know, you were you were finding it a challenge to do some some of the 30 milers and trying to fit the training into, you know, having a, a busy job, having a young family, husband, all the rest of it that you're juggling. And actually trying to get out there to do those longer runs was was hard. <clears throat> and then for various reasons, then shifted that idea saying, right, well actually that original goal of the hundred miler, that's not going to be an achievable goal. Let's make it achievable. Let's go for the Lakeland 50. Right, okay. So now we've got a more achievable goal and then we can match the training plan for that. And you did that really successfully. Yeah, more successfully so, than I thought. I was very surprised. <laughs> exactly. Because it was then adjusting the goal to actually meeting your training availability. So the the obvious thing to do is say, right, these are the, the, the events I want to do. That's the demands of the event. That's what's going to be required to meet my goal of running 50K, 100K, 100 miles, whatever it is we're talking about. And then you kind of work backwards from there. And, you know, where am I at now? You know, what's my current level of fitness? How many miles a week am I doing? What are my strengths? What are my limitations? What do I need to work on? And how do I kind of square that circle of getting from where I am now to where I need to be in that world? Yeah. So that's a very logical way of doing it. And that's what most people will do. Mm -hmm. There is another way of thinking about it, which is just assessing where you're at now. And this is more of a much longer term view. Where are you at now? How can you just improve on where you are now and just keep making steady progress on your current level? And then assessing, right, where am I at now and what event would fit my current level of fitness? And then slotting in a race. So going, right, you know, I am currently running, I don't know, let's say 50 miles a week. I'm quite comfortable with that. Um, my long run is, is comfortably 20, 25 miles a week. I'm going to go and do a 50K race because we know that's going to be a very, very achievable event. Yeah. Yeah. If you're running, you know, 40, 50 miles a week and then you're saying, right, now I'm going to go and do a 100 miler. It's not that that's not achievable because it is, but it's certainly going to hurt a lot more mm. and it's going to take you a lot longer to recover. Yeah. So, so yeah, so the other way of thinking about it is just gradually building your fitness slowly, that improvement, improvement, improvement. 
and then you assess yourself and say, right, I'm, I'm at this level now. What would be a, a suitable race for me to, to slot in in the next month's time? Now, of course, the problem with that is most of these races are selling out 12 months in advance now, aren't they? The yeah. big ones, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some a lot of the fell races and you know things like that. You know, there are there are many who are still you know you can pay on the line, um, turn up on the day, things like that. But a lot of the bigger ones, you know, they're, they're selling out. Yeah. So you do need to be planning twelve months in advance. Um, you know, if you're looking at some of the, you know, if you're going down UTMB for example. You know, you might be thinking about a multi-year plan as you're building towards a particular yeah. key. So, so yeah, we go back to, um, sorry, was it Martin? Yeah. Said, yeah, mm-hmm. said, uh, Martin's point there or question there. I mean, that is the logical thing to do. You think, right, what are the, what are the races I want to do? But then ask yourself, is that jump between where I am now and where I need to be, is that an achievable jump? Mm-hmm. Is, that a, is it going to challenge me and is it going to motivate me? Is it too easy um, or is it too hard? Yeah. And that's what you then need to reflect on. Yeah. And then you think about, so you said, Martin, that you've got a lot of races on your wish list, which are kind of all in May. <laughs> um, so you've got to think about how realistic is it to recover from one race to another? How hard are you going to be pushing yourself? How hard is that race for you? Um, you know, I could go and run a marathon and I could go training the next day because a marathon isn't a huge distance for me because I'm training 500k, 100 mile type distance. Whereas somebody else, a marathon would take them two weeks, three weeks to recover from. So it's all a very individual thing. Um, so yeah, you've got to think about sort of how close you're putting these events together and also then thinking about the importance of individual races. So we can classify things as kind of a races, B races, and C races. So A races, these are your, your your key events. You might only have two of these in a season, in a year, maybe three at a push. <clears throat> these are the ones you're really looking to peak for, and then you're going to taper down and be nice and fresh on that start line. And those, those are the ones you're going to really push hard, and you're going to need some good recovery time afterwards. Um, your B races are your your kind of test events where you're really going to fine tune your, your race nutrition. You're going to go hard, but you might not put as much of a taper and recovery in afterwards. Um, and your C races are, they're just a hard training day. So it might be you turn up to a race, but that is just your long run for the week. It's just a long run where there's some aid stations along the way, something like that. Um, so then you've got to think about, you know, how important is each race? So if you've got a, a list uh, Martin of you know four or five races which ones do you really care about and why they might be the the a races and then the other ones which may be just more let's say kind of club events you know running club events or social events ones you've done maybe many times in the past they might be more your b and your c races mm. that type of thing yeah. But yeah, you do want to then spread those out so those a races you know there might be one early season so may for example and then there might be another build for a late season race so august september for example yeah 
So that's really good advice. Um, and we do have another live comment that I do want to read out to you now, Tim, because it's a very nice one. It's from Rainman Smith. Um, and they say, always so good when you have Tim on. Please thank him for his common sense approach to training and clarity in his explanations, which are a great help. Thank you very much. There you go. There's Tim's blushing there. <laughs> um, um, so, so, yeah, I thought we might just take your questions one by one from that Instagram post and just do a little bit of a live sort of like athlete analysis. Um, with me as the guinea pig because I do have quite a lofty goal for next year um, in wanting to do a hundred miler. Um, so yeah, but I also have quite a few reservations. <laughs> so okay. I just, I just, I need you to be my agony aunt, Tim. And, so go on, have a have a lie down on the therapist couch. <laughs> just have a little lie down. Yep. <laughs> so the Nothing... first question I would ask is <laughs> if you look back over your past seas. What are your biggest accomplishments or achievements as an athlete? So the best one for me was the Ultra Trail Snowdonia 50k um, because it was really steep, really hilly, really hot. And it was the first ultra that I'd done after having Finley and also I just DNF'd the month before I DNF'd the um, Manx Mountain Marathon. And that came as like a big shock because I've never been last in a race before. <laughs> and I had no idea that even they even had cutoff times because I'd just been in the mid pack before and I, I just I'd had the flu before and also, you know, first ultra coming back from after having Finley just I just wasn't in the right place yet so UTS when I came over that finish line I was just so proud of myself for having done it um, and then it was really good because you came over the finish line having done the 100k and that was just really nice as well because it was just like oh it's Tim yeah so that was really nice as well to see you're, you you're, there. you're a sweaty mess just kind of <laughs> a hot mess yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah no that was that was really fun um, and also I just really liked the UTS because it was so beautiful like that day was so I, I mean I, I'm not a big fan of the heat and I did want to jump in one of those pools up the, up the side of the Watkin path but it was just such a beautiful area and I, I was really proud of myself because I was sort of managing myself and you told me all about how to be prepared for the cutoff times and I'd done my gradient profile and I'd really planned it and I felt really in control um, and yeah I just I just felt under control even though I was only an hour ahead of the final cutoff I knew what I was doing and, and that's all thanks to you because of that DNF that I'd had on Manx Mountain Marathon you were then able to help me to make everything go as well as it could possibly go do so that was really brilliant and then the Lakeland 50 I applied exactly the same thing to it and I I felt absolutely fine until about 40 miles in and then it was midnight and I felt a bit tired and my feet hurt a bit because if I'd been going further I probably would have sorted them out and done stuff to them but because there was only like 10 miles to go I just thought oh I'll just leave that grit in my shoe or just only only 10 miles to go which was the right decision because I wanted to get a fast time um I'd aimed for 16 hours didn't think mm -hmm. I'd be even capable of getting that and they ended up getting 14 hours 40 and that's with making a film and you know I wasn't like hanging out at the checkpoints or anything but I wasn't going really fast I was being held up by queues I could have gone faster probably would have been absolutely broken at the end but you know I was okay two days later like walking around and stuff which is handy for chasing after a toddler um so then I did the Sussex Stride 52 um, just at the end of last month, um, about 
three weeks ago now um, and that was harder um, I hadn't really trained in the same sort of meticulous way that I had for the previous two I just I, I had to do this one to qualify for the hundred that I might do so I sort of what had to do it and there was a few things on that one that definitely I'm gonna sort of learn from and not do again so I think that will come out in the next question so that leads us on to this one then, isn't it? So, so that's it. So it's getting you to look back at the positives. So we start off with, you know, what went well, you know, what, what did you feel like you really gained and, and learned uh, and, and achieved over the past season? So even, you know, even if when things have gone wrong and, you know, things have gone wrong for you in the past season, but we get you to focus that, that attention and that memory on the positives, first of all. <clears throat> So then, yes, we then move on to the next one, which is, you know, were there any moments in that past season which were particularly challenging or frustrating for you? And then we can expand on that. Um, and these, these expansion actually comes from my other coaching colleague in the team, Greg. Um, this, this is his input into the development this season, which is, so what could you do differently to prevent them from happening again? And how could you cope with the situation differently if it happened again? Key in the key thing is what did you learn from it? Yes. So yeah, what were the things that you found particularly challenging last season? Um, so I had blisters on UTS. I had um, I knew the shoes were going to be blisters, so I did actually have to stop three times to sort them out, um, which obviously cut into my time um, and made me closer to those cutoffs. Um, so. The past sort of 18 months I've been on this quest to find the perfect shoe and in time for the Lakeland 50 which was scaring me so I did actually find a really good shoe this I use the Saucony Exodus Ultra 2s now um, and they I didn't get a blister on Lakeland 50 and I was absolutely thrilled um, but then I wore different socks on the Sussex Stride 52 and I did get blisters and that was very upsetting because <laughs> yeah. a biggie for me in, in these events is my little toe on my right foot tends to creep underneath the rest of my toes and get trodden on and develop a, like a whopping blister like almost the yeah. size of the little toe um, and it's just really painful um, and it makes me feel really miserable um, and if my yeah, if I get that blister, um, even I put tape on it really early on on that race, um, but it still was being trodden on and it, it still hurt quite a lot. So it just makes me miserable and and I can keep going. I mean, I did. I finished the race. I had that blister from about 15 miles and, you know, it was quite painful towards the end. So I do keep going, but it's sort of not... So what you do differently, so not obviously you realise... <laughs> So what was the difference between Lakeland 50 and then the Sussex? I wore different socks. So James the socks. Yeah. yeah, so the socks that I wore so, were those trotter socks um, that are supposed to okay. let your big toe move independently. Um, but what it actually did was squish all the other toes on the other side because it was quite a, a stiff sock. So hopefully I won't get a blister again. Um, but I, so um, just going back to yeah, if you find a sock that, that works for you. Yeah, don't great. deviate. Exactly. Um, and I think you, you raise an interesting point there in that, you know, a lot of people blame the shoes for developing blisters, but often it's the combination of the, the foot, sock and shoe and maybe even insole interface. And it's finding the right, the right combination of all of those different things. 
you know, do you said about taping your feet there. So, you know, you practice lots of different taping techniques going into UTS, you know, which ones of those worked, which ones of those didn't. And this kind of reflective activity that we're going through is for you to kind of actually really pause and think, well, hold on, which are the ones that really did work? So, okay, let's now fine tune those versus just doing the same thing and expecting different results. You know, that is the classic quote of, you know, the definition of insanity, isn't it? Doing the same thing, expecting different results. Yeah. So for you who's been um, challenged with, with blisters and things like that in the past, you know, a highly frustrating problem as, as a runner, it's about, right, trying lots of different things, which you've done, identify something that does work, great, nail that down. It's okay to try different things. So you, you tried another pair of socks. Yeah. You know, it could have, should have worked. It didn't. Okay, great. Note it. Those ones aren't for you. Go back to the ones that did work for you. Yeah. Fine. That again. You know, those socks are great. Do you need different insoles to go with them? Because I know that's something else that you played around with. Do you need to try different lotions? Uh, you know, moisturizing lotions. I've yeah. Trench for next yeah. time. Yeah. I should have tried those socks on a long run, those trotter socks. Um, but I had. I tried them on uh, on one of my long runs, but not long yep. enough because I think they gave me yep. blisters at about 17 miles. And okay. so I hadn't tried them on a long enough run that they gave me blisters on. So, yep. yeah, maybe don't try a new pair of socks on the race day. I had. I knew that yep. might happen, so I did pack my old socks. So I wore them for the rest of the race, but the damage has kind of already been done. So, so don't do that. <laughs> so it's really getting you to think about, okay, so of those challenges, you know, what did you learn from it? Don't use new socks. Make sure you tested them thoroughly in training, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and if you did get those blisters happening in a race, is there anything that you would do differently? So would you, have, if you had those other socks with you in your, in your pack or in your drop bag, you know, can you access them earlier? Yeah. Can you check them earlier? Yeah. Uh, a really good quote, uh, I think it actually comes from more sort of a mountaineering uh, coach, which was be bothered about the bothers. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. those things that are just bothering you. They're not really a problem yet, but they're just bothering yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. Nikki Spinks has something like that. Nikki Spinks okay. says, if you think about something three times... The next time you mm. think about it, do it. Like if you're yeah. just if that's niggling at you, just do it. And I think that's that's quite yeah. good as well. But that sort of that brings me on to another thing which I would do differently next time, which was on that race, I was actually running with someone. Um yeah. so I she um she's my old teacher and she's the one that got me into like the outdoor world and everything, and we were running together, but because she's sixty-four and I'm forty, um she was run. She runs a lot slower than me. So where she makes up her time is being really efficient in checkpoints. So I was sort of being rushed out of the checkpoints. Like you know, I would have spent just a few more minutes there, sort of like eating a bit more, maybe going to the loo properly and like um, doing my feet properly. But I was sort of kind of rushed through there because I was trying to be with her. Um, um, but then I was going slower than I wanted to on the actual run. So I was out for a lot longer than I would have been um, in that sense. Um, and not able to sort of tend to my needs as much because I felt like I couldn't really stop. So I've decided that I'm not going to, I don't usually run with anyone else anyway, but I just, I've just decided that that's not for me. And that, because um, I was worried that I might have to, I might 
sort of she said she could try and get me around this hundred miler but I, I just don't think that our paces and our way of operating um, would really be compatible for that and also in this hundred miler she gets around by not sleeping at all whereas I you know might want to take a five minute power nap or a ten minute power nap or something in one of the checkpoints and I just think no just go at my own pace and sort my socks out when I want to and just stop when I want to and and then I won't have you know, I won't just keep going through a blister just because I think it's inconvenient for the other person to stop. Yeah, it, it's hard to run with other people. Yeah. Because in a, in a, in a long race, an ultra race, you are going to have highs and you are going to have lows. And if you're running with somebody else, the chances of you both being on a high or you both being on a low at the same time is pretty slim. So it means that one of you is going to be going slower than than the other and the other person's therefore gonna have to slow down and then you'll swap round and the other person who could be going a lot faster is having to wait for the other person who's now having a low point so your your overall pace will will probably slow as as a pair or as a group as opposed to going as an individual but of course the flip side to that is the mental support you get from being with other people Mm. Uh, Again, you know, the quote of if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with others mm-hmm. uh, or that effect. Um, so, you know, if it is just a question of having an adventure with friends, then, yeah, running with, with others, being with others, waiting for each other, supporting each other. Yeah, that, that could work really well. Yeah, um, I think I found so like my knees hurt more and my like my hips hurt more and my knees hurt more because I wasn't going at my running pace I was going like really slowly like like yes. just like n- not jogging even just like walking but bouncing um yes. so that was difficult I found so I uh, and towards the end I had to just go at my own pace and then just keep stopping and waiting um, and, and I don't think that's motivational for either party. <laughs> Someone's no, just stopping and waiting for you. It's kind of annoying. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, your, your running mechanics does change when you go much slower yeah. than your performance pace. Yeah. So, so, yes, you will load your knees and, and your hips more uh, by doing that, actually. Yeah. Uh, okay, so if we, if we got to move on to the next question then, yeah. which we've sort of touched on already, but which is the... How did your overall performance compare to your initial goals and expectations? So think about the goals that you set yourself at the end of 2022. Did we meet those goals? I think it was definitely the right decision to do the 50 miles at the Lakeland 50 and not 100 miles. I don't think I was ready for that. Um, so that was that was definitely um, a good change to the goals. Mm-hmm. And then fulfilling the 50 milers and the 50 Ks, um, I've done a lot better than I thought. Um, yeah. I now feel fully confident in running 50 miles. Like I've got the arc of attrition 50 coming up in January and oh, I'm having yeah. a yeah, I'm having a month off now in October, um, just just jogging around, and then I'll be back on the training November, December, and then um, in January because it's at the end of January. So I feel confident now that you know if you told me to run 50 miles tomorrow, I could because that's what I sort of did with the Sussex Stride. Um, so so yeah, I I am really pleased about that. But it gets to about 40 miles. And I kind of think to myself, or I get to the end of the 50 miler and I'm like, no, that's enough. I cannot ever do 100 miles. Um, and that's kind of worrying because 
every t about a week later, I then come back round to the idea of, yes, I do want to try to do 100 miles. Um, and there is one from the Long Distance Walkers Association that I am now qualified from doing the Sussex Stride. I'm yeah. qualified to do that one now. And it's at the end of May. It's in the Cairngorms. Um, in Scotland so it's not up the top of the mountains but it's like through passes and stuff and that's what I really like I like a bit of a hilly one um, you get 48 hours to do it which is great like for um, a first 100 miler it's not waymarked at all but I think I, what I'll do is get a better watch and I'll get that OS mapping app on my phone so that the navigation side of things doesn't slow me down um, and I'll just go at my own pace and maybe sleep a bit but yeah i just i'm just scared because at the end of 50 miles i do think that's enough and i just can't get my head around the fact that that possibly i will have to make myself go further and i know that it's probably something i can do because i'm a determined person but i just don't want to be like really miserable and in pain doing it because that's not what what we're here to do in life is it i like I could probably just get it done and be like, oh, well, I did it, but I didn't really like it and I will never do another one. I kind of want to do it and enjoy it as much as possible, if that makes any sense. <laughs> it does. So, again, I think you, you're starting to kind of jump ahead of, of yourself there in terms of the 100 mile and, and what that's going to entail. But what you just said there about enjoying it, then this feeds into my fourth question which is we reflect back over this last season, what aspects of your training and racing did you find most fulfilling and enjoyable? Um, the Definitely the the views on the right. Snowdon race. And I just, I, I just loved the, I did love the steep climbs actually. Like it was hard right. work, but I just, I just liked it. I liked the scrambling and I, I, I loved seeing whales from all those different angles. It was just a brilliant day out. I okay. actually enjoyed that more than the Lakeland 50. The Lakeland 50, don't tell anyone that loves the Lakeland 50 because it's a bit of a cult, isn't it? <laughs> um, but I found it a bit disappointing in terms of views because I've seen the Lake District like from loads of different angles and it can be really, really incredible. But I just found it a little bit too runnable in a way. I was like, oh, it's it's just a it bit is. easy like I just found it a bit a bit easy but obviously well, it's not more than, yeah, it doesn't go over anything high it's just the passes yeah and low levels. yeah um, so found it so like you need to understand you know what that is that you're entering exactly uh, versus you know it's not a mountain race yeah um, that's the sort of key yeah so it wasn't quite as so exciting as the Snowdonia one so we, if we kind of focus in on that so you said you know what you really enjoyed was you know being in the mountains, the views, the terrain, you know, going somewhere maybe a bit different. So, you know, you know the lakes very well, but Snowdonia, maybe that's not an area that you explored as as much. Yeah. So maybe it is. I have in the past, but not recent. recently. Yeah. So, so then what we then do is we take the, your answers to these questions and then we think about, okay, so what does that inform us regarding your goal setting for next year? <clears throat> so if I have a slightly jump ahead of myself here, we say, right, well, what you really enjoyed was, you know, the views, getting up in the mountains, exploring certain areas. Well, OK, so then the Cairngorms challenge, that's going to meet some of these, the things that you enjoy, that you're going to get up into some high mountains. You're going to hopefully see some nice views if the weather's good. Yeah. Um, exactly. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but, you know, even so, you're going to have hopefully 
good views, good challenges, the steepness, you like the steep climbing. So maybe again, that's where you maybe didn't enjoy Lakeland 50 as much as Snowdonia because it is more runnable versus steep hiking, a little bit of hand on rock, scramble, that kind of stuff. So again, so I was thinking, right, though, that's the kind of thing I really enjoy. Hiking, <laughs> not yeah, running. But again, that's your background, isn't it? It's yeah. Hiking. So we're saying, right, well, let's find events, challenges, races, whatever, that, that fit that. So to go and say, right, let's go and enter 100 miles of the South Downs Way or 100 miles on the Grand Union Canal, that's oh. not going to be your bag. No. So motivated to do it so this goes back to you know how do I choose my events well then you start thinking well what are the things I actually enjoy and it might be what what are you good at as well um but is it you've got to enjoy it a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Yeah. And then we, we work from there. So, okay, before we sort of then think about that is um we go back to the the goals that you didn't achieve and what contributed to that outcome of why you didn't achieve your goals so if we go back to 2022 and the conversations back there and you were saying i want to run late 100 okay so why didn't you run the late 100 um and there's there's a couple of reasons for that one of which was the fact you didn't actually have a, a qualifying yeah. event. I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> it wasn't my so, fault. Yeah, it's like that was slightly out of your control. But even so, if we take if we take that kind of yeah, um, I just I don't know if I have time to like do the long run training part of it. I'm, I'm not sure what it what it entails. I mean. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not actually sure what tra training, um, what more training I should be doing for a hundred over a fifty. So I just mm -hmm. feel like that's as much as I can give <laughs> like right now. I suppose I could run all day on a Sunday. I do have all day on Sunday to to do that, um, and I can do more strength training as well. Um, 
but yeah I'm not sure that I can train enough that it won't hurt so I might just have to go into it being prepared to just suck it up and be a bit miserable for a time yeah. so so again that's an important point to then consider when you are then setting your your goals is when we think about what that goal is and what's the requirements in terms of training volume and training intensity so what i mean by that is you know can you actually get enough miles time in the legs to prepare you for that challenge oh yeah i remember now i was just really exhausted wasn't i i was just really tired yeah, yeah. a lot of the time yeah so we're thinking about, you know, what can you do about that? Is there anything you could change yeah. regarding your time availability, your energy levels in order to maybe squeeze a bit more into your calendar? Uh, and the other thing to think about for people is, you know, if you set yourself a target, particularly a time target, you know, let's say you want to run sub three hours for the marathon. Okay, so what does that look like in terms of, running pace and intensity so you know if you're wanting to run under three hours for the marathon you're looking at something around about a 124 125 half marathon okay is that something you're capable of now and if it's not how are we going to again square that circle yeah so do so, you think i shouldn't run 100 miles in may do you think that I well, we, yeah, we're not there yet. We, we need to think about um, have you got the capacity? and is it? But is it also something that you really, really want? You know, what's the why behind that? <laughs> the why is because I'm writing my book about ultra running. Um, and I feel like, uh, personally, I don't want to run 100 miles. It's not really anything that I really want to do. But because so many people are doing them these days, I'm curious yeah. as to... Mm -hmm you know, what happens on one of them. I I kind of feel like in order to be a credible author, I should try at least to run 100 miles, even mm -hmm. though I know it's not something that I particularly want to do and I could live without doing it fine. I'm really happy with my 50 miles. <laughs> I'm just, I'm fine with that. But I kind yeah. of feel like if, I, if I've not done 100 miles, I don't know what to tell people in the book, even though you're helping me with the book and lots of other people who have run 100 miles are helping me with the book. So it will have the correct information in it. I yeah. just sort of feel like to be credible as an ultra running author, I ought to run 100 miles, but no more than that. I actually, what I really want to do is run 100 miles and not a 80, 86 miler like I did last month. Yeah. Why not, miles. why not 160 miles of the Spine Challenger North? Why not a 200 miler? I think a 100 miler is the one where you experience those maybe two nights going through the nights. And um, it's just the one where it's just different, isn't it? It's a whole different kettle of fish to 50 milers. And so I might be missing something in the book yes. by not personally having done one, even though you can obviously tell me if anything's missing <laughs> but, but i mean the problem is with with ultra marathons is every single one is different yeah even if you're doing the same event year after year every single one will be slightly different because yeah. of the so many other variables in terms of you know weather conditions for example yeah so um and an ultra marathon is quite simply anything more than a marathon yeah <laughs> 
usually starting at about 30 miles, 50k. Um, so, you know, do you need to to do a 100 miler to call yourself an ultra marathon runner? No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I totally get where you're coming from. Um, is that sort of wondering what it's really like and, and feeling like you can relate to yeah. your audience? And can I do it? Like, can I even do it? Like, can, uh, that, yeah. that does intrigue me, that, like, but at mm. the same time. But I think if it wasn't for the book, I wouldn't be planning it this coming year. I'd be doing, I'd be consolidating my, I'd be going, like, one, the next step for me would be, like, doing this coming year. It would be more, more like doing, a, like, a 70-miler, sort of, 80, 70 to 80-miler sort of thing. So I'd do yeah. that for the whole of two, 2024. And then yeah. the year after, I'd be thinking about 100-miler. That's how I would prefer to do it but because the book will be coming out this time next year I kind of think oh god I've got to fit it in um Steve says that I don't I shouldn't have to but but I just feel like a I just feel like I should but I, I don't really have the capacity to do it like Finley still wakes up every single night I wake up at yeah. half six in the morning I'm tired yeah. I've just taken on a new job with Summit magazine <laughs> like just so so really are you setting yourself up for just, a rather unpleasant experience yeah, and potentially yes. failure yes um, well hopefully not failure because so i'd just crank it out <laughs> i'd crawl to well, the finish line but i would probably be in a lot of pain like after the sussex stride i had a migraine for two days afterwards and felt really sick as well it had been a really yeah. hot day um, i mean we stand on the start line of ultra marathons and one of the reasons we're there is we don't know if we're going to get to the finish line yeah you know, that finish line is never guaranteed yeah. ever for anybody, um, whether you're front of the pack, back of the pack, middle of the pack. There's no guarantees. You don't know if you're going to be there. And that's some that's part of the reason why we do it. The yeah. Challenge of the unknown. Um, but I, I come back to this point where we've got to pick goals which are achievable. And if they are a goal which is, is not achievable, then you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah, um, or, a take... <laughs> or, or a lot of learnings. Or a loss of earnings, yeah. Oh, no, uh, a lot of learnings, not a lot of earnings. Uh, well, that's it. You, you go and, and, and fail miserably at the 100 miler. <laughs> What's that going to do for your book sales? Uh, It'll be brilliant because I will know all the reasons why I failed. I don't, true. I don't know. Uh, at least I'd had a go. <laughs> Absolutely. And, I mean, today's chat was supposed to be about a learning from from dnfs actually uh, i think we're going to need to change the, the title um, <laughs> when this goes out for for listening later on um reflection on reflection for goal setting we can mm. change the title but anyway um i mean we do learn more from from dnfs than we do from from successes we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes of course um but you know you're saying about how you feel the need to do a hundred miler and I totally can relate to to what you're talking about myself as a coach however you know the the longest furthest that I've raced is 112 miles but I've coached people for 200 250 miles um I race single stage ultra marathons but I have coached people for doing stage races mm which is a different beast to get. 
Um, so just because you haven't done it yourself doesn't mean that you can't advise and help people. Yeah. You know, I've worked with Olympic athletes mm. and still have Olympic athletes on the books. I'm never going to be an Olympic athlete myself. <laughs> uh, does that mean that I can't help people who are going to the Olympics? No. Um, because as long as you, you know, understand the theories and the principles, they apply regardless whether you've done it yourself or not. Yeah. Um, just because you've done something yourself doesn't mean that you can teach and help people um, do the same again. And in some ways it can narrow your, your viewpoint because you think, well, I did it this way, so that must be the way to do it. Um, yeah. And that's the problem with, you know, a lot of people getting into coaching is, you know, yeah. they've done they've done things themselves, they've achieved great things themselves, but maybe haven't had the same challenges that, that others have had uh, and therefore can't relate or, uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we see that across the board. Is, yeah. And even in my book, I've got a whole section on you don't always have to go further. Like, because oh. everyone's like, oh, yeah, I'll do the 50, I'll do the 50, and then I'll do this one, and then I'll go longer, and then I'll go longer. It's like, you don't have to. And I'm not even oh. taking the advice from my own book. <laughs> it's like, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I know what I'm good at, which is yeah. very trail hiking type races. Yeah. Ideally, probably around about the 100-mile type distance. That's what I'm good at. Yeah. My first race coming up next season is a half marathon. Ah. <laughs> the complete opposite. Not what I'm good at at all. <laughs> but I'm doing it because it's, it's going to challenge me in a different way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, the challenge is can I get faster? Yeah. I can go longer and I can go slower. You know, the logical thing for me to do um, would be to to do more things like the spy race and do you know challenger north do the full spine and you know people are always asking me you know mm. when when are you doing the north when are you doing the full etc cetera, etc cetera. it's like well not yet because i know i can prepare and, and do something similar to that whether i could do it well whether i can do it fast is, is a whole nother matter but you know training for that one i can i can make that work what's harder for me is to try and go shorter and faster yeah me too <laughs> yeah yeah there's a sweet spot in the middle um, there is <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm not at all saying don't do the 100 miler mm. but again you need to reflect on what's what's going to be achievable yeah. and what what did you find difficult about the training for the 50 milers um you know do you need to do significantly more volume not significantly more, but I think you need to get yourself to the position where doing week after week of 50 miles consistently, that's achievable. I can get 50 miles in a week, no problems. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a little bit more than that. But if you think, my goodness, trying to get 50 miles in a week is going to be really hard to fit in with everything else, you're going to make life difficult for yourself. Yeah, yeah. You need to do big, long back-to-back -back runs. No. Um, classic example, um, Camille Heron just smashed the Spartathlon, but she's famous for never doing more than three hours in a, in a training run. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the details of Courtney DeWalter's training plan are, are 
top secret, closely held secret. Um, but we know that she doesn't do big, long runs in training most of the time. She does ventures every so often, but a lot of the time it's, it's double run days. You know, it's five miles in the morning and another few hours later on. Mm. Um, and it's that, but it's that consistency. She's still getting, you know, 100 plus miles a week here, but it's multiple shorter runs a day, quality of quantity. Yeah. Is looking at your life, how can you build that in? Yeah. Yep. So I'm just, it's just tempting to just see what happens. But Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See what I can do. I, I do want to read out some nice live things, though. Um, well for you um uh today uh has says hello as well good luck with your medical treatment today i know that's starting soon um martin who we answered the question of early on he said thanks tim um the 100k uts is his a race in may um he's on his way to 100 miler as well and that will be the other a race of the year he'll build the rest around of the year around those so, yeah yeah i did the uts 100k this year yeah. Last, last, yeah. Um, yeah, that looked really hard. <laughs> I don't know how anyone did more than 50 there. Um, I don't know how anybody did the 100 mile. <laughs> I know, it's mental, especially in that heat. Like, that's one of the other things that concerns me about trying to do a 100 miler. That's why I've gone for Scotland in May, because I absolutely couldn't run um, 100 miler in this weather now. Well. It's, but it, it's all about just preparing for every eventuality. Yeah, uh, but I don't want it to so, be too hot. Maybe I should sign up to one in the Arctic, though. It would definitely be cold. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so Christian Poulton says that he has entered the UTS 50K next year, so he's hoping to better his time on that. And he's hoping to build up to 100 miles eventually, but doesn't feel quite ready yet. Um, however, mm -hmm. he does like to push himself to see what's possible. Um, mm -hmm. Sounds a bit like me as well. Uh, Raymond Smith says... Um, uh, Claire, I always find that it doesn't work running with someone else as we all have our own pace, as you found. It's a case of being antisocial, I'm afraid, <laughs> and saying, sorry, I just have to run my own race. Um, yes, I find that you can, you do get running with lots of different people over the race, so you're not that antisocial um, if it's a big race. Uh, but yeah, if it's one of the smaller ones, you do tend to be on your own a little bit, which is fine. Um, and Lloyd says, um, if you wait until you feel ready for your 100 miler, you'll be never be ready, Christian. Multi-days are a good way to get fit for it. So do the Druids next month. That will help you immensely. I've done the Druids challenge a couple of times. It's a really, really nice race. Um, Severin has an insight for me. She says, I think you could write about planning for a long ultra, uh, but personally don't think you need to actually do it. And it doesn't sound like you want to do it much either. So dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Um, Lloyd says, Tim is right. It sounds like an awesome DNF chapter, though. Um, and, yep. and then Rain Man Smith has some advice on the ARC 50. Um, as someone who's DNF the ARC 50, be prepared to go out hard for the first 28 miles to St. Ives, which is the hardest stretch, but a tight cutoff. It's rock climbing from Cape Cornwall onwards. Oh, that sounds brilliant. I like the idea of some hands on rock. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, I'll go out hard for the first 28 miles. I'll properly pre prepare for the arc. Yeah, yeah. I also have to make a video as well, so I, I sort of have like even more to think about with all the like batteries and charging and making a film, um, which I actually really enjoy. Um, but yeah, 
uh, yeah, I think if I wasn't Maybe writing the book, kind of ones, you need to hire a photographer to follow <laughs> you, so you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, um, yeah, that just seems a little bit indulgent, though. <laughs> um, we do have another couple of just patron questions. If you've got um, five minutes before we go, Tim. Um, we've got uh, there's one there's one from Christian about the third half fueling, and there's the one from Tracy with the osteoarthritis. Which one would you like to do <coughs> first? Um, we do the so fueling. Fueling, yeah. Because yeah, I think Christian might be watching live, so that's good. Yeah, I think you just said that. Yeah. Yeah. He said um, he needs to. He has issues on fueling with the last third of an ultra. He has no appetite, but he knows that he needs to eat. Um, mm. The only food that he could stomach on his last one. Um, was mini pretzels and cold boiled small potatoes provided them the aid station, which were actually quite nice, and his stomach didn't object to them. So, really? yeah, any advice around fueling in the last half of an ultra? My mouth gets really dry. I need, like, really slippery yeah. stuff at that point. That's it. So, for me, it usually is just going simpler and simpler as the race progresses. Um, so maybe in the early phases is there is a little bit more real food in there. Um, you know, I use things like the supernatural fuel pouches for some easily taken on board, but more real food with a bit of fat and protein mixed in there and gives you a little bit more of that satiety, just making you feel a bit, bit fuller rather than just pure sugars. Um, and going through an aid station, you know, I'll, I'll grab some, some fruit or some nuts and things like that. Um, but then as the as the race progresses, it does just shift more and more to just simple sports fuel, um, you know, energy drink, simple gels, that kind of thing. Um, so, so for me, you know, as I go towards the back end of a race, it's just going into energy drink and gel so um for example you know you're um as a on the bottle here you know precision fuel and hydration so you know i use their electrolytes uh, and their energy gels but um for that last race i did back in september the ridgeway um actually used the, the powder so the drink powder mm. um just so that I wasn't wanting to take on extra gels as well, but I was drinking okay. So I was, th I was then switching to get my calories via my, my liquids as well, combining the two. Um, it's just, you've got to get it down there. you just got to kind of force it in there. If it is looking at more real food, if, if you really kind of reject that simple sugar, you know, high, high sugar content, um, for me, it's things like rice pudding, easily taken on board. Uh, you know slips down quite quite nicely but again a, a good good hit of carbohydrate but with a little bit of fat and, and protein mixed in there um, so that's quite a good one to take on board you know I know people that have just used pot noodles at aid stations because again it just as you said there your mouth a bit dry just slips down um, <clears throat> really what I get everyone to do is to test in training uh, and that's where some of those longer runs come on come in for for testing things or you know your b and your c races for for testing things um and then we also talk about having a kind of three-stage plan as your sort of bullseye nutrition bullseye where you've got your your primary nutrition that you you're planning on taking to getting your, your calories on board and then you've got your kind of out your, your middle ring as a next step out which is your sort of you back up your alternatives. You know those things work for you, but they're maybe just not your favourite flavours or maybe they're your alternative backup flavours if you start getting a bit of taste fatigue. Um, 
so again think about the taste fatigue for me um i like then switching to some quite sharp tastes so things like lemons or limes those kind of flavors so either kind of gels with that flavoring in them um or the precision fuel and hydration got those chews so lemon and lime chews um so it's a bit like um um what's the word i'm, I'm looking for jelly uh, yeah kind of yeah so Fruity jelly stuff yeah that's citrus. Sort of, uh, citrus yeah it is yes yeah, a citrus mm. but it's got a yeah, something you can kind of chew. Uh, I mean, for me, in that race, it was a very hot race. And again, uh, starting to run a bit dehydrated. So didn't feel I could kind of chew them quite as easily. So I did them a couple of times. I was like, nah, let's just go back to gels. It's just easy to get down. Mm. Uh, that would be a, a usual thing for me. Or um, if I need to kind of freshen my mouth, I'll, I'll use something like a, a fisherman's friend, you know, very strong mint. That, again, can just... So sometimes that, you know, final third of a race it tastes fatigue. You're just bored of what you've been having up until that point. So you need to just try and, you know, freshen your palate uh, or try something of a different flavour to get it on board. Um, yeah, I think that sort of, I think that covers the point there really. This is trying, trying those things in training, mm. uh, trying different flavours, different textures, um, and it might be just again as you shift into the, the latter phases is you just keep it super simple so yes yeah, so you've got your key targets you've got your outer ring your, your middle ring but then the outer ring will be just your absolute backups so it might be you just go for your you just said they're jelly babies Haribo. you know it's just super simple you can just try and get it in your mouth swallow nothing really else involved um and that might be the way you get it down or it might be going through the aid stations and it is just grabbing your, your watermelon, your orange halves, quarters, whatever, your, your bananas. And maybe it's just going for that um, or your, your soup or something like that, just for something different. Yeah. Um, I like yeah. I like the idea of um, eating, uh, sorry, drinking more of the calories as well. Like I, I always forget that side of it. So that sounds like something yeah, yeah, you yeah. might yeah. want to investigate. That's it. I mean, a lot of the time, you try and separate hydration and fuel. So you get your your, your, your liquids, your hydration, um, you can drink to thirst, and then you take your fuel on as per your fueling strategy. So, for example, if, if it is a very hot race, you might want to be drinking more, but if all your calories in there, then you end up actually taking on board too many calories, and that will obviously upset yeah. some. Uh, or the danger is if it's a very cold race and you're not then being yeah. sort of prompted to drink as much, um, then you don't actually take on enough calories. So generally, it's quite good to separate your fuel and your hydration. Um, but I do find that, you know, as you then move into those those latter phases, um, sometimes it's easier just to combine. Yeah. Uh, or at least have one water and one, like, um, fuel. Which is generally, one. actually, um, yeah. and most of the way through a, a, a key race. So you know, something where I am pushing the limits. Yeah. Um, I'll have one bottle of fuel and one bottle of water, yeah. and then I can just take my fuel as per plan, sipping as required, uh, and then maybe even picking up a third bottle of water at aid stations uh, to have in between. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so hopefully that answers that question. Yeah, hope that helps you, Christian. Fuel for thought, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
And then the last question, just quickly, is just um, a question from Tracy Hampson. Um, she said, is there anyone here with osteoarthritis because she's been having knee pain and swelling during and after running for over a year? So she's finally made an appointment with a doctor and got x-rays um, and she's in the early stages with a slight loss of joint space. Um, so she's still managing, she's managing running by cutting back on distance, time on feet, running slower, sticking to trails rather than tarmac. And she's just wondering if anybody else suffers and are they able to run and like if there's any supplements or exercises she should be doing. Um, she's also vegetarian, so she's looking at suitable glucosamine um, MSM, MSM supplements. Mono, yeah. so what? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's what that means. <laughs> um, osteoarthritis does run in her family, so she's expected it at some point, but she's not she's only 47 so she didn't expect it just it's just just so soon so do you have any um sort of any words of advice for tracy so the best thing is is make sure you're then getting seen and supported by a sports physio who can guide you through this um the key message i would get across is you are not your scan so just because you've had an x-ray that shows some loss of joint space doesn't mean you have a problem you know, we can we can X-ray. You know, everybody over the age of, I think she said she's forty-seven. I don't want to get that wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody over the age of 30, 40, we are going to see lots of joint space. Mm -hmm. You X-ray my knees, you're going to see lots of joint space. You're going to see, de you know, degeneration and and things like that. I haven't got any knee pain. You can X-ray people and see horrendous changes on an X-ray. And they have no problems whatsoever. They're perfectly fine. And you can also x-ray people and see no problems whatsoever, but they have pain symptoms. So you are not your scan. Mm -hmm. And just because you've got pain and swelling now doesn't mean that you're going to continue to have pain and swelling. So there's something which is irritating your joint. But that's not necessarily arthritic changes. All right. Um, arthritis is not wear and tear so we used to kind of call it degenerative I've used that word degenerative but because it's just so ingrained in our language but it, it's not a strictly speaking a wear and tear problem ah. running does not make arthritis worse if anything we've had multiple studies shown people with um, with arthritis who run do better than those who don't ah brilliant so, you know, even if you have some arthritic changes in your knee, the best thing you can do is keep fit and healthy. Mm. And if that means going running, go running. Great. Brilliant. It might be way, might need to look at different ways of running, might be looking at slightly different running style. So particularly things like increasing your running cadence will re reduce the impact force, uh, the peak force going up through your legs and through your knees. So learning to run with a with a shorter stride, a little quicker with your cadence, uh, you know, at least ten percent faster than your natural cadence, will significantly reduce your knee loading forces and therefore any potential knee pain. It will load your ankles and your calf a little bit more, so you do need to build up more, you know, build up slowly for that. Um, so yeah, you know, trying to change your running style to more of a midfoot landing rather than a heel strike will reduce the impact forces going through your knee so it might be just looking at tweaking that a little bit it might be looking at footwear uh, and changing that um, and, and giving yourself the support there 
definitely about getting in the gym, getting strong mm. and staying in it. So there's doing all those kind of things. Um, but it, it shouldn't be a case of you need to, to stop. Um, there are some genetic links, but it's not that if somebody, you know, if you've got a genetic family history that you are definitely going to get it. It just might be that you've got the blueprint for it, but then there's been something else which has triggered it. Um, so, again, what we're thinking about arthritis now, if if that is the right diagnosis, because it may not even be the right diagnosis, there might be something else going on. But if it is arthritis, generally we're thinking this as more of an inflammatory um, problem due to lifestyle and diet are, are usually the, some of the biggest triggers for that. Um, you mentioned there about the being a vegetarian is making sure you're getting enough um, things like sort of protein and, and good healthy fats on board to, to support that, um, which can be a bigger challenge um, in, in a vegetarian diet. Things like glucosamine and chondritin, uh, people do talk about using them. There is zero evidence to support it. Um, so some of those early research studies that came out suggesting the use of glucosamine, they were subsequently rubbished. Um, so it is not a recommended supplement. Um, that said, some people do take it and they swear by it. Um, is that because it does work or is that because it's a placebo? We don't can't really answer that one um we do know that placebos work even when you know it's a placebo <laughs> so if simply taking a tablet makes it feel make your knees feel better fine <laughs> is it because of what's in the tablet or not who knows so i can't i can't sit here and say oh yeah those medications or those supplements or things like that work because the evidence says they don't work <laughs> But you would always find people that go, oh, but it worked for me. So either they're an outlier and it did work for them, or it's just a placebo and simply taking a placebo worked. Yes. Which we know it does. Yeah. <laughs> and the bigger the pill of that placebo, the more effective it is as well. Wow. <laughs> so that's another story. <laughs> Doesn't matter what colour it is, blue or blue or red pill. <laughs> Oh, now I think it does, but I can't remember which. There you go. You put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll have to get a pharmacist on board. He'll be able to answer that question for yeah. you. But, oh. yeah, probably, probably is a colour association to success as well. Yeah, anyway. maybe bright pink is the key pill. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much, Tim, for answering those questions for Christian and Tracy there. That was really, really kind of you. And, and thank you for talking me through my 100-miler um, dilemma as well. Um, yes, maybe next. I'd say it's not that you can't do it at all, but you just got to have a good reason why, and you've got to be prepared for it. Yeah. Um, so that kind of leads into maybe the next set of questions, which we'll have to wait for another day. <laughs> yeah, next time. Um, yeah. Yes. I, well, I think we're coming back on the seventh of November. I think we've got you booked in for at midday, and we were going to talk about winter-based training. So yeah, maybe that is a great time to talk about. You know, you've decided your goal for 2024, and now we're going to do some winter-based training um, before you know maybe a May goal or a summer goal or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Brilliant. Okay. Well. We need to go back to the DNF thing. We never actually explored getting over a dnf oh yeah i suppose we were more talking about the learnings from 
previous races, whether they would be DNFs or not DNFs, I suppose, won't we? So we'll have to workshop that title. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no and change it because we didn't yeah. stick to, we just, we didn't, no. we didn't really stick to the five ways you can learn from a DNF in particular, kind of indirectly. Uh, yeah. I was more, yeah, reflecting on your season. Yeah. Learn, learning from the past in terms of your season, which, yes, might involve a DNF. Um, but we've been a bit more a bit more positive than that yeah. um but yeah um i'll maybe sort of put some stuff together because yeah i think certainly you know dnfs hurt a lot mm. mentally emotionally yeah uh, but they can be incredibly powerful experiences in terms of growing yeah well we could always do that next time and then the following one do winter base training um mm. or do the winter base training and then have the following one as a dnf Whatever you want or whatever your listeners want. Yeah, okay. Uh, put it put it out there to the, to the audience. Yeah. Um, put a poll up. What, what do you want Tim to talk about yeah. next? Yeah, so what should we talk about next? Winter-based training or yeah. how to pick yourself back up off the floor after a DNF. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, All right. Yes, well, if you are wanting some help with your goal setting and training next season, the coaching team at Team HP3 have a few slots currently available. I don't know, are they still available? This was a while ago um, when you wrote yeah, that post. Yeah, we have a couple of slots left with, with the team. Yeah, a yep, couple of slots left. So get in touch for a free, no obligation chat, such as we've been having today. Um, so, uh, Tim, just quickly, how can we follow you? How can we book you? Yeah, so Instagram is generally where I kind of exist in terms of social media. Uh, so, Tim Piggott, HP3, if you do a search on there, or again, Claire's got various links to me. Uh, and the website is hp-3.co.uk. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, as Tim said, I've got links in the film description below and in the podcast show notes as well. So thank you so much, Tim. We will be back on Tuesday, the 7th of November at midday to chat either about winter-based training or DNFing and what we can learn from it. So thank you so much, Tim. Always fantastic to chat to you. And goodbye, everybody. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.